Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of No Names All Game. Today is June 25th. My name is Chris. Joined as always by my co-host, Pat. We have a very special edition for you today. We are joined by Brett Ciancia, uh, owner, CEO, founder of Pick 6 Previews, one of the best college football Twitter accounts out there. Incredible off-season preview book. We just interviewed him, Pat. I loved it. What did you, what'd you think about that conversation? Oh, yeah. I mean, I was astounded by like, his depth of not just like the statistical knowledge of football, but like he knows what he's talking about in terms of schemes. Like he he's the kind of guy who can watch a game and break down what's happening. He's not just like some stat nerd that yeah. you see like who who love to predict sports. He knows his stuff. It's incredible. I mean, if you if you read his book, if you've seen him on Twitter, I mean, there's a ton of knowledge. But you kind of expect you know something like that. You would expect a team of a bunch of people who all have their different specialties. Like one person knows the Big Ten, one person knows the SEC. Like. He was rattling off things about every single team, every single player. I mean, I was blown away. Um, we talk about a lot of different things about his magazine or his book, rather. We talk about Penn State. We talk about the Big Ten this season. Um, I think you guys are really going to like this one. So stay tuned. Here he is, Brett Sianzi. Special guest joining us today, the owner, founder, CEO of Pick 6 Previews. It is Brett Ciancia. Brett, how you doing, man? Hey, I'm excited to talk. Thanks for having me on. And, uh, you know, after five months of working on this book, I'm ready to start uh, talking season, right? Doing the podcast and radio tour. So excited to talk some Penn State and Big Ten. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you mentioned uh, you mentioned your book. So I think I think most of our listeners probably know who you are, follow you on Twitter. Um, if you don't, Pick 6 Previews, uh, incredibly popular account on Twitter, um, one of the most popular in college football, and uh, the most accurate off-season preview book. I think I keep calling it a magazine, but this thing is like an encyclopedia. Uh, it's incredible wealth of knowledge of all Power 5 Football, we'll get to that um, in a little bit. Uh, but, Brett, give us a little bit of background for some people that maybe don't know about you. Um, how did you start Pick 6 Previews, and, and how long have you been doing it? Yeah, thanks for that feedback on the book. I appreciate it. Um, so, Pick 6 Previews, uh, I launched back in 2012 uh, with Mike Nawaziat, who's actually a Penn State alum. Uh, I don't know if we're talking Penn State. Mm-hmm. Um, but over the last couple of years, I've taken it over full-time. And um, basically what Pick 6 Previews is, is an annual season preview, just like the ones you see on newsstands, um, but it's all digital. It's a download, um, you know, 160-page PDF there. And um, so last year was the first time I put together a a huge book. It's all 65 Power 5 teams, um, you know, and that's a ton of film study, spring games, uh, calls with coaches, calls with coordinators, uh, my advanced stats too, but putting it back into a readable form that, uh, that any football guy would like. And so after the 2019 book, I was actually selected to become a Heisman voter. Um, I'm actually based out of Westchester, PA. Uh, so I'm, I'm on the right local show here, Pennsylvania, uh, Penn State talk. So, but um, yeah, so I was selected to become a Pennsylvania Heisman voter uh, after last year's book. So uh, incredible honor. And uh, it's kind of rare to make it as a Heisman voter as a national guy. Usually it's uh, the local beat writers that cover a certain beat or a conference. So um, yeah, just blown away by the feedback so far. And um 2020s edition just went on sale last weekend so yeah and that's that's exactly why we have you on here um i purchased it immediately i actually bought your 2019 book after you and i started talking just to just to see what it was about and i was hooked instantly so for everyone that's listening right now it will be the best 18 dollars you've ever spent i promise you can go a day or two without starbucks it is worth it um <laughs> thank, you. Yeah, thank you thank you 
you mentioned being a Heisman voter. That to me is like one of the coolest things in the world. Um, I think, you know, growing up as, as football fans, it's always kind of been like a mystery of how that process works, who's involved in it. So uh, we'll start with a very easy question for you. You can trust us. We won't share this with anyone. Um, but who do you plan on voting for this year? And can you tell us why it's going to be Micah Parsons? <laughs> hey, I, I, um, I'm a huge Parsons guy, not, not, not going to lie. So like I mentioned from Westchester, right, I, I'm pretty familiar with the high school, the Pennsylvania high school football scene. Um, out in District 3 was where he was. It was a Harrisburg high guy. Uh, it went both ways. I mean, you watch some of his highlight tapes. It's like he's running through middle schoolers. Uh, I mean, it was incredible. And District 3 football is solid ball, too. This isn't, you know, yep. this isn't somewhere in the Midwest where there's eight-man football or something. District 3 is serious ball. So, uh, seeing them put up 60 points a game or whatever it was, over a point a minute, um, and that's just his offense. I mean, obviously, you saw him in the Big Ten the last couple of years defensively, uh, just ripping through uh, offensive lines. Penn State's first All-American as a sophomore since LeVar Arrington. So it's elite company, but he's earned it. I mean, that, that guy's a highlight reel. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're so excited to watch him this year. Um, on a more serious note about the Heisman voter, like you said, incredible honor. That's, that's so awesome and, and well-deserved on your end. Um, what does that process look like, though, for you? Is that, is that, you know, just a simple write-in? Is there, you know, communication amongst you and other voters? Is there, you know, what, what goes behind, behind the scenes of all of that? Um, so in becoming the voter, in becoming a Heisman voter, um, there's 840 votes across the country and those are broken out into regions and states. So think of Pennsylvania, for example, we have the three FBS teams, it's Pitt, uh, Temple and Penn state. So however they do their math, we, we, we get allocated a certain amount of votes in the state. I think it's 20 something. Okay. Um, and then from there, each state has a, a representative in charge of who votes within their state. So, um, you know, the, the state contact, um, got hold of my book last year 2019 uh you know invited me over for an interview we sat down um and it was great i mean we just talked football uh talked old stuff too 80s 90s current um and uh, i brought him a copy of the book and he was just blown away so uh at the end of the discussion kind of extended me that heisman vote and you know like i said usually it's um you know guys that are 20 30 years of doing a, a certain beat or covering Pitt or penn state um so to make it as a national guy was was incredible and uh and quite an honor so and then to talk about the actual voting process real quick, uh, you get your ballot after conference title weekend. Um, actually, it's the weekend before conference title weekend. Um, but what it is, is uh, it's like a multi-factor login. So you get this email and it's, it's, it's got to be the most secure thing I've ever logged into. You get like three different passwords. They call you to confirm it's you. Uh, you know, it, it's like breaking into Fort Knox. It's incredible. But that's how you'd want it to be. So once you get into that, once you get into the ballot, it's a simple, you know, one, two, and three, you, you write in your votes. There's no pre-selected. Um, that's kind of a misconception too, where people think the four people that are at, you know, the three or four finalists that are in New York were the only candidates avail available to be voted on. It's actually the opposite. It's a blank ballot. And based on how those votes shake out, wherever there's a big gap. So, so say that there was a big gap between third and fourth, the committee just invites the top three. Uh, some years you see it where there's five invited to New York. Yeah. Um, so it's really just where that bubble of votes is, what kind of year it is. So that's a misconception there. But, yeah, blank ballot, uh, you fill it out. and it, 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 Yeah, I it uh, got goosebumps doing it, just being a huge college football guy my whole life and college football family, uh, you know, the ultimate honor. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Congrats on that and, and all the success, like I said, well-deserved. Um, let's pivot into, into the actual book itself. Um, Pat, take it away. Yeah, I mean, I can't recommend this thing highly enough. It's, it's 161 pages long this year. Uh, gives every, you know, Power 5 team in the country. Um, and, you know, it's for everybody from the total college football nerd who wants to read about every single team 
to the guy who just wants to, you know, you get some really cool insight about like recruiting, um, how teams recruit, um, convert their recruiting into wins and developing players. And so you get to see like where your team stacks up and all that. And you can just read your team's preview, you con your conference's preview. So it, it's well organized enough for like anybody to use it. You don't have to be like some gigantic college football nerd to buy this thing. I'd recommend it if all you, even if all you care about is your team. Um, but like, yeah, thank you. Thank it's you. Very obvious that a ton of work goes into this. And like, aside from, you know, where you find the time to do all of it, how many of these games do you actually get? To, like what percentage do you think you get to like actually watch? Cause a lot of it is set up that you can kind of like the game grader that you do, you could theoretically just put in the stats and come out with the grade. Correct. Yeah. So that, that's a good, that's a good question there. So the game grader formula, that's all analytics. That's all numbers. There's no human element in that. Um, I mean, I designed kind of the formula of what, what metrics I want to weigh more heavily than others. Uh, I put in there, you know, their scoring differential, yardage differential, a lot of per play metrics. Uh, but the key being that I scale to the opponent's strength because uh, beating Ohio state by 50 and beating Akron by 50 are two completely different games. So I designed the formula. The last time Ohio state got beat by 50. Yeah, no, right. Uh, that would just be off the charts game grader wise. But um, yeah, so that's kind of the, the numbers. But what I like about my book and what I've strived for is a balance between the numbers, but then also, you know, what you watch on, on game tape, because you don't want to read about, oh, Penn State was 0 0.0121 in X category. I mean, what does that really mean? What could we gather from this information? So that's where over in the text, I mean, I really try and break it down and, and make it readable. So in terms of actually watching games, I mean, I'm one of those guys you know, starting at noon on every Saturday, I have my four screens up. I got all four games going, my, my two laptops and the two phones rolling. So it's just extreme uh, coverage every Saturday. Uh, I'm up till two watching the Pac-12. Um, but then, yeah, so what's great about uh, with technology nowadays, you can watch a college football game in 20 or 30 minutes. These guys, they cut up the tape on YouTube and there's no commercials, no huddles. Um, and you can really just absorb games pretty quickly. So I'm able to watch. I mean, I don't. I probably don't cover all 12 games of every of every team, but I get probably eight or nine sample, and uh, you really can start to start to tell a team's identity. And um, you know, I think it's important to really because you can just look at the numbers and try and assume things, but you got to see it too. And um, one last thing about the book that I think stands out compared to other magazines is that I really try and bring more coaching schemes into it because uh, I'm fascinated by um, you know in the NFL there's 32 programs. They all look, are organizations. They all are pretty much identical except for the logo on the helmet. But in college football, there's so many different variations of, you know, offensive strategies, uh, recruiting strategies, even you touched on that. There's just so many different factors that I like to, to get that in there. What's the, what's the coaching scheme like? How, how are they developing players? They have a big walk-on program, um, the whole bit. And, and that comes out with my, uh, my coaching coordinator calls too. So uh, pretty extensive, but I like to hit, hit a nice balance between numbers and uh, – you know, and watching games. Nice. Uh, since you started, have you ever had like, is there one season that stands out to you where it just, it all kind of played out almost exactly how you thought it would? Well, I mean, I got to say last year, I know it's just recency bias, but uh, coming into last year, I was the only predictor in America to not have Alabama in the playoff. Um, I was on the right side of the Ohio state, Michigan debate. Most magazines had Michigan. Uh, I picked Ohio state. And then my super wild card last year was Utah and, as you can imagine, to make the playoff. And uh, as you can imagine, I made a lot of friends out in Utah uh, on Twitter. But, and it if you remember, close. yeah, if you remember back to last year, they were kind of controlling their own destiny late into November and the, the dominoes were starting to fall. And it was like, oh my gosh, did I hit on this absolute roulette chip? 
And, uh, and then in the final night, Oregon beat them. But um, it's almost like I got credit for picking them. I mean, like, because it was that close all the way through. And coming into the year, they were like 20th. So to, to have them number four and have them that close was a big win. Yeah, that's that's incredible. Um, it's funny you mentioned the being on the right side of Ohio State, Michigan. I think every year people just claim Michigan as this is the year. We're already seeing it about Harbaugh this year. Yeah, right. <laughs> we get into that. We could spend another hour on that, but let's uh, let's dive into some Penn State and, and Big Ten. Um, you know, like I mentioned, we won't give everything away. Uh, people go buy the magazine, check it out. Um, but do want to talk about your analysis for our team? Obviously, that's that's why we got you here. Um, you've got Penn State finishing second in the East behind Ohio State. Um, not uncommon. A lot of people have that prediction. Ohio State is an absolute wagon. Um, lots of changes at Penn State. New offensive coordinator, new wide receiver coach, awesome guys to the NFL, some transfers. Um, new all-line coach. New all-line coach. Yep. See, I can't even keep track of it all. Um, Brett, what's, what's your opinion? Like, I, the question isn't as simple as like, oh, what does Penn State need to do to overtake Ohio State? And I know it's more complex than that, but do, do you think there's like one or two things that, that are really holding them back? Or do you think it's just in general, the state of the programs and, and where they're at as far as that difference? Well, yeah, this question kind of reminds me of uh, James Franklin's post game, the one year, you know, calling Ohio State elite and saying that Penn State wasn't there yet. Um, it is just, it's a tough draw having an, a kind of, you know, kind of a dynasty in your division. Um, yeah. You think of teams like Auburn, you know, they're stuck with Alabama every year in their division. It's just, it's just brutal luck. So then on top of that, you have Michigan and, and Michigan State used to be tough. Um, but anyway, I think the gap started to, um, you know, Penn State had closed the gap uh, with Ohio State. Uh, they beat them in 16, really outplayed them in 17 and 18, and had those games late, uh, if, you, if you remember. The, I mean, I don't need to tell you guys. That. Like, I see a facepalm on the Zoom call. I hate to bring it up, but it really, I mean, you were, you were the better team on both those days. And then, but then you fast forward to last year, and, and the score, the 28-17 score, really wasn't as close. Um, you know, Fields had a couple fumbles there in the red zone. Uh, Levis really came in and was a, was a hero there as a backup. But I think the gap is starting to, you know, it's, it's going to be tough to catch Ohio State. Now, I, I am really fascinated with the offensive coordinator hire. I think that um, one thing that went away a bit after Jim Moorhead left was some of that vertical pass game and just the, I don't know how to, you know, I, I guess it's explosive kind of covers it, just the long yardage, chunk plays, uh, jump balls, that kind of stuff that they were winning in 16 and 17. Kind of slowed a bit last year. I mean, you expect that with a, with a, court, uh, a quarterback change, but. So I think a second year with Sean Clifford is going to help a lot. Um, I think that this uh, Kurt Shiraka, um, I'm not, not to get too sidetracked on the question, but I'm fascinated by this, this coordinator hire. I remember watching Minnesota spring game last year, and I remember thinking, man, is, is this RPO slam pattern the only play they have in the playbook? Because it was every single play, slant, slant, slant. Um, and you start to see that in the fall too. But here's what they do. They slant you to death, and then they hit you one time over the top, and uh, you saw that actually in the Minnesota Penn State game with Rashad Bateman uh, oh, yeah. going over the top. And, you know, so it, it may look simple uh, at, on the surface, but he's got little tweaks and variations off of it. And uh, eventually they hit you with a bomb. So I think it's a good fit and I'm excited to see it. Yeah, no, I'm actually happy. I'm happy you went there because um, that's that's something on my mind as well. One of my favorite things in your preview book is the offensive defensive coordinator uh, percentile. So you have them uh, the last 10 years, uh, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, and percentile against opponents. Like you mentioned earlier, you know, beating Ohio State versus beating Akron is, is very different. Um, and it, I think we all know how lucky we were with Moorhead, but the numbers just to me were astounding. Um, Moorhead, in his years, he was 91st percentile and 94th percentile, which is just incredible. 
Um, for comparison to all of the people who love to still hate on Christian Hackenberg, John Donovan was in the eighth percentile. It's a single Oof. in 2014 that blew my mind. Um, but what I saw with Sharaka at Minnesota, and we actually talked about this when, when Penn State hired him, we noticed that he everywhere he's been, he's shown progress year over year. And that was the same at Minnesota. Your grades for him there, um, I don't have an exam scrolling here, but each of his three years, he significantly increased. Um, so I'm hoping, I'm hoping we see, you know, instant success with him, obviously, with some of the talent we have. But I think I love seeing that kind of continued success over and over. Yeah, definitely. And um, a couple of things that are going to be different with Soraka being uh, at Penn State compared to Minnesota. At Minnesota, he didn't really use the tight ends really at all. Um, 16 catches for tight ends the last two years combined. And uh, I know Pat Frymuth has 15 touchdowns himself. So uh, I think he, he gets a whole new element here. If he, we'll see if he's able to use the tight ends as much. You kind of have to with that kind of talent uh, at tight end. So that'll be a tweak there. And then the, the idea of quarterback mobility. Um, at Minnesota, they didn't run Tanner Morgan at all. He, he would get one or two carries a game, and that would probably just be like a broken play, a scramble, uh, nothing designed like that. So uh, to have Sean Clifford, who shouldered about 10, 10, 12 carries a game last year, I think it brings another element. So, um, you know, you can say, oh, these are differences. I think it's positive. I, what, I mean, it's got to go positively with those two additions, a, a mobile quarterback and a game-breaking tight end. Um, and then one last bit on that. Yeah, he took over Minnesota. They were, I think, 55th nationally in recruiting average. Um, you know, and my, my quick hit on recruiting is that, yeah, can they miss on a prospect or two of the, the services? Yes, but when you start looking at 20 to 25 in a class and four classes in a row, 80 prospects, I mean, they're more right than wrong. So, so Minnesota, they were 55th in recruiting. Uh, you're inheriting at Penn State a, a solid top 15 roster. So, I mean, just the absolute blue chips stepping up at all these positions – uh, it's going to be like he's playing with with, uh, with dynamite compared to last year and the years prior. Love it. Love to hear it. One of my uh, big things I kind of took away from your um, Penn State preview was you were saying, like, with the right quarterback, that Sharaka offense can really be like magic. And there's kind of a split, I think, in the Penn State community of people who think that Clifford is going to take that next step and be that guy under Sharaka and people who think he's just – he's not going to be the answer. What do you think about Sean Clifford as Penn State's quarterback? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's always tough as a, you know, to replace a legend like McStorley. Uh, I think he did fine. Uh, you could probably improve on that, uh, that the completion percentage a bit. It was just 55%. Um, you want to see some more consistency. But, hey, that's, that's first-year starter kind of stuff. And you usually see that increase first to second year. I think a good comparison here would be, and I, you know, I hate to use the, the greatest offense ever, but if you look at what happened in LSU where – you know, Joe Burrow, he had a solid first year. Uh, this is in 2018 after his transfer. It, it was okay. It was above average. But they made a coordinator change, opened up the scheme a bit, led to a lot more wide-open receivers. Let's not give Burrow all the credit in the world. A lot of those guys are wide open just by play design. So I think if, um, in the same sense, if Shiraka comes up here, um, you know, opens up a lot more throwing lanes, uh, you can increase that completion percentage on its own just by play design. Uh, let alone he's had track records. I mean, he turned Tanner Morgan into, you know, an all-conference type player. So I would say, yeah, you got to go Clifford here, and let's see under a new system how it looks. I think there's a lot of positives out of this game. I like that answer. Uh, <laughs> one of the, uh, something we heard similarly in the Penn State community is kind of the split, both in Penn State and out, the split on James Franklin. Uh, there's been, you know, especially with the blown leads, uh, there's been, um, you know, criticisms of his X's and O's. 
And there are people who go so far as to say he's basically just like a snake oil salesman who gets good recruits and does nothing. What do you think about James Frank? I think some of those are a bit harsh. I mean, again, uh, if they were in the West division of the Big Ten, they'd probably be in the conference title every single year. It's just you're, you're, you're stuck with two giants with Ohio State and Michigan, more so Ohio State, obviously. So, um, no, I think you've got to take a, take a step back and look at the program context here. And I, I try and hit on this a, a bunch in the book. When you look at different programs, like winning nine games at Wake Forest isn't the same as winning nine at Alabama. So, but look at what happened here when, um, when he took over. They were taking over a pretty raw situation still after the sanctions. Um, you know, still some issues on the offensive line scholarship-wise. They were, they were down. So I think just to bring them back that quickly, and, yeah, you can say, oh, it was just Joe Moorhead's offense. Well, Franklin made the hire. A huge part of this game is, is hiring coordinators. So he pulled off that hire. Ricky Ronnie did well. Um, and we'll see if Scirocco on paper looks good. So I wouldn't jump to jump at James Franklin too quickly. I mean, he's got him at a consistent winning stage. Um, you know, what is it, three New Year's Six Bowls in four years? I mean, this is some high standards. I would say look at your recent past um, and look at the progress so far and just, and just continue to build this thing because, yeah, you, he's a great recruiter, and that's going to start to pay off on the field. You, at the beginning of the show, I think you brought up my player development metric which grades your raw recruiting compared to your on-field talent and your NFL draft picks there's no red flags there I mean you see schools like Texas who are recruiting excellently and don't do anything with it Penn State's not in that category they're actually top 20 in both so um yeah I don't see any concern about blowing you know recruiting talent they're doing just fine um we'll see how these coordinator hires shake out yeah and for the record I say it a whole lot on this show but just to make it abundantly clear we are pro coach James Franklin here uh Brett on our side. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about tight ends. So you talked about Friar Muth earlier and, and kind of Shiraka's use of them. Um, another thing I love in your book is, is you kind of outline your um, All-America teams or your predictions for the All-America teams. A um, couple, of, couple of Penn Staters in there. Mike Parsons, obviously, first team, um, which we talked about before. Uh, you got Journey Brown as a third team uh, running back, which is fantastic. Um, and I noticed Friar Muth is your second team tight end. Uh, Kyle Pitts from Florida is your tight end one. This is a hot debate right now, and is, I think it's going to be all season. Um, Kyle Pitts is actually a, a Penn State target back in the day. I remember they were going after him. Um, I think he's an incredibly talented kid, but curious in your eyes, what separates those two guys? Yeah, it's funny you bring up his, uh, his Pennsylvania roots. Um, you know, so I'm a Unionville High School alum. If anyone listening knows where that is, it's right near the Delaware border, right near Westchester. Um, so for the first time ever, Unionville made it all the way to the final four of the state playoffs, and uh, they, they drew a a tough opponent there with Archbishop Wood, which is one of those private schools that, you know, recruits all over the, all over the Eastern PA area. And, uh, you know, so we had a couple of undersized corners. They were excellent players for high school, but undersized. And here's Kyle Pitts, this six, six giant lining up against them. Uh, Pitts went crazy. I think Archbishop Wood scored like 40 points on him. Um, so anyways, that's just a, an aside, but what Pitts really broke through last year in, in Dan Mullen's offense down there, uh, they have a stable of four or five just blue chip receivers. And then, to, you know, icing on top of the cake there is Pitts lining up in the slot as a tight end. Uh, you know, he's a, a mismatch there. I think they're both going to put up great numbers. I just have more, you know, in this crazy offseason, I trust Florida's coaching stability a bit more. You know, it's the same scheme. It's the same starting quarterback. It's proven. Uh, I know that Pitts is going to put up incredible numbers again. Friermuth, I, I do think, will have a great season, but it's really neck and neck. I went with the, the more stable coaching continuity there. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, it's, it's honestly why I'm kind of excited to, to watch because, like, I think tight end is one of those positions now that 
Um, you know, it's, it's the trend has started for a while, but it's, you know, you have just those big body receivers that are in the NFL, right? I think Evan Ingram a couple of years ago was one of the, one of those first guys you have, you know, the, the Noah Fants, the Hawkinsons. It's like, okay, let's just get a big dude who can receive. And like, Pitts is that guy. Friar Moose is that guy. And also kind of a psychopath when he's hitting people. Um, I can't wait to go head to head all year. Um, and and I, for me, I think just not seeing Friar Moose even on the Mackey finalist list last year just killed me. Oh, that was outrageous. I remember that whole thing. That was ridiculous. Yeah, so I, I had a, a, I think it was all conspiracy theory to keep him at Penn State so he could win the Mackey Award for us. <laughs> <laughs> oh man all right so let's look to the defensive side uh, we talked about Micah earlier um, so I don't really want to beat that dead horse um, we kind of know how much hype he has um, something I'm really excited for is is our defensive ends um, it seems like every year we kind of reload um, we lost Sean Spencer shout out wild dogs our favorite coach for a while um, but we have a ton of young guys who, who I think have a ton of potential. Um, you're going to see Shaka Tony, uh, you know, as, as kind of that complete edge rusher that I think he finally is, or will finally be able to show. But there is so much hype on Jason Oa as well. Um, a lot comes just from his physical testing numbers. Uh, you know, the flashes that we saw last year. Um, are you as high on him as as some other people are? And and what do you think his ceiling could be this year? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, with, with Jason Oa, you bring that up. I remember last preseason when I was prepping for the 2019 book, I came across an article how him and Parsons were going through a, you know, a speed competition. He's talking about two, like four, 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 five speed guys. Uh, and just, you know, the, the ongoing uh, competitive nature there, you're talking about t- some of the fastest front seven guys in the country. Um, so what, really, what I really like about that is you're adding him. It, if it was just Jason Owe on the line, maybe you'd be able to, to control that. But then you have Shaka Tony off the other edge, Parsons himself getting in the mix. I think it's just going to be too many weapons to defend. Uh, making it one of the best front sevens in the country. So, yeah, that's a good one. Um, and then in the secondary, yeah, you have former five-star Lamont Wade. He showed some progress last year. Uh, his best game really came against Ohio State, uh, which is encouraging if you're a Penn Stater. So I think even uh, despite losing the two all-conference all, um, all guys back there in the secondary, uh, there's enough raw talent. And we touched on recruiting already. So that top 10 class from 2018 is now coming of age and moving up in the depth chart and taking over a lot of these starting jobs. So uh, yeah. high ceiling for sure. Love it. One thing I think like all Penn state fans are uh, familiar with and usually love is Brent Pry's very aggressive blitz heavy defense. Um, but we, the one time we did kind of see it get taken advantage of was by Kirk Sharaka last season where like the defensive backs were kind of let, I don't, I don't know if I'd say let out to drive, but like, you know, just had to do a lot more work, and they got picked apart. Do you think having Kurt Chiraka on the staff now, you think that helps the defense, and, like, he shows Brett Pry where some of those holes are? Or do you think it's just, like, those are the known holes of that defense, and he was just able to take advantage of it? Yeah, well, I guess if it makes you feel any better, Minnesota kind of did that to everyone last year. It was incredible what they, what they uh, did. They had a trio of receivers, um, you know, Ty Johnson, Rashad Bateman, and Chris Altman-Bell. I mean, they were just – they were like that all year, so – I don't fault Penn State for that. I think part of it is, like you said, Penn State's nature, Brent Pye's nature uh, as an attacking defense. They are top 20 in my negative play rate, which uh, really what that does is shows you how aggressive a defense is and how often they are in the backfield making plays via sacks or tackles for loss or no gains of the line. So um, very aggressive. The counterbalance to that is for an aggressive defense, oftentimes you're more exposed in the back half of the field on long yardage plays. So, um, and usually Penn State's been good uh, mitigating that. Uh, they're able to blitz and be good on the outsides, but 
you know, saw a little bit of an issue there in, in the explosive pass defense. They fell down the 70th last year in that category, but uh, kind of nature of the beast. So, I, you know, with that aggressive play, you're going to force more turnovers, hopefully force more incompletions, but you might be open to a, an occasional long bomb. So, um, yeah, it's, it's probably schematic, um, but it'll certainly help having him having him off the schedule. That's one last opponent he had to play with uh, with elite passing play. So, yeah, yeah, you've touched on uh, you touched on recruiting a couple times. Um, I am a recruiting nut. Uh, Pat's starting to get there. Where you know when when we don't have a follow in the offseason, recruiting gets a little bit more spotlight. Um, but I, I love following recruiting, and and you point out a lot of uh, your ten year recruiting trend as well. So. Um, you know, Penn State over the last five years averages number 14, which you mentioned is kind of fantastic from where we come from. You know, I'm, I'm someone I, I try not to harp on like the sanctions. Like I know it's incredible how fast Penn State rebounded and all that, but I kind of try to focus more on, on the now. Um, but when you look at the numbers, you know, for, average 14 over the last five years, the five years before that we're averaging ranked 30. So like that is a huge, huge improvement and, and no one should be upset about that. Um, but I think something that we find ourselves doing, and, and I do it all the time too, is like, we still haven't really been able to land like that big fish. So like this year, it's Caleb Williams, number one quarterback. Um, last year, Julian Fleming, the wide receiver that went to Ohio State. It seems like there are these these top five-star prospects that we should theoretically have a good chance at, but just seem to kind of always get away or we don't have the consistency, right? Like we had Michael Parsons, but we don't have, we don't have that every year. Um, what do you think that stigma is around Penn State that kids see and, and, and don't make that call? Or is it just the, the allure of other big-time programs? Yeah, I think it's other big-time programs. I mean, it's Ohio State. They're top three every single year in recruiting. Um, but not just that. They're consistently on the playoff stage. Uh, they're consistently number one or two in draft picks. So uh, it, it's just t- tough to compare yourself um, to a, a mini dynasty like that. But, you know, I, I think they're doing a great job, like you said, uh, compared to the five years uh, before – sorry um, – the five years before James Franklin, way lower, and it's, it's definitely been an uptick. But a little concerning not being able to keep Julian Fleming in state. That's a Southern Columbia guy. Another, uh, you know, really hitting on high school football. I love this. Uh, they're a dynasty up there. Um, and, to, you know, to lose a local five-star like that, they don't come around often. So that, that took a hit. Um, but, no, I think that it's, it's still trending the right way. I think to really break through and be more consistent with the five-star and high four-star pool, you got to break through and beat Ohio State on the field. It's, it's just got to happen uh, if you want to get onto their recruiting level. So, um, I mean, yeah, that, that's kind of it. But I think that even being in that top 15 range, it gives you a puncher's chance every year. It's, you know, it's not that, uh, it's not that make or break. I mean, you, you could catch Ohio State and, and run through the East with a, with a top 10 or top 15 raw recruiting roster. So, um, and one last note on recruiting. Um, it doesn't really get talked about enough is you mentioned the 2011, 2012, uh, scandal and, you know, it's sanctions. I think what Franklin does, it doesn't get enough credit is just the overall rebranding almost overnight. You just forget all about, you know, whatever it may have happened or whatever, but it's almost like in a, in a you know, overnight, this is a whole new Penn state program. Uh, their, their social media branding has been incredible. Um, just the whiteout environment. You can talk to any football fan and, and thus any football recruit. They always want to. They always talk about that whiteout, um, and I mean stuff like that. It goes a long way in building up a perception. It's all recruiting is is perception. So, um, got to credit him. It might not might not have shown in the win loss record right away, but just the absolute uh, you know brand fixing uh, is notable. 
Yeah, yeah, and that's I think that's one of the the toughest things in especially in college football where literally every game matters. It's you know everybody wants that instant gratification. Everybody wants that turnaround right away. So um, yeah, I, we're trying to keep the faith, trying to stay positive, and and I think sometimes we just kind of have to remind ourselves of, of everything that you just said there. So I yeah. have to imagine. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you're good. Um, I have to imagine, like in your game of the season preview, the hardest, like one of the most difficult things about predicting the season is the sort of the unproven commodity of certain players. Like for us last season, most people had us as like an eight win team because nobody knew what Sean Clifford could do. And then he comes in, he's pretty good. We're in, you know, an 11 win team second in the big 10 nationally. You saw it even bigger with like Joe Burrow having this explosive year. Uh, is there like a certain way that you approach guys like that who are stepping into a spot and you don't know what they're going to do, or is it just case by case? And there are any specific guys this season either Penn State or nationally, who you see as like that unproven commodity that can explode? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, we, we only have as much data as we can find. So it, it's prior it's prior years, film games, um, uh, sorry, game tape, uh, recruiting trends, that kind of stuff. Uh, I used to love the spring game. So, and not just to see, you know, it's not because it, you know, did blue or did white win. The, the score doesn't matter. I like to see how the schemes are looking uh, those early enrollee freshmen coming up, the new starters coming up. So normally in a normal off season, I'm watching every spring game this year that was wiped out um, and makes it a little bit more unknown. I don't know what some of these fresh faces, like I would have loved to see Michigan's quarterback battle, for example, uh, McCaffrey and Milton, these two guys um, under Jim, uh, under Joe, uh, sorry, under Harbaugh, who's just an absolute quarterback guru, uh, at least used to be, we got to see him prove it. He's kind of running out of years here. So this is a perfect opportunity uh anyway i'm getting sidetracked i would have loved to see that spring game for example so that goes a long way that's wiped out um yeah so a lot of times you got to just rely on surroundings too the, the environment that the new starter is coming into talking about coordinator coordinator trends um you know returning starters up front offensive line wise who's he going to throw to um yeah that kind of stuff so it is it's an inexact science when you're talking about a new quarterback starter but you try and just gain any parcel of, of information you can yeah, yeah. If if you have any great predictions, let me know because I would love to put some long shot bets on the Heisman or on, on these teams. Yeah. Come out and let me know. Um, as long as they're outside the top a, five, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> take Oregon for the playoffs. I, I, you, you, hey, you're pretty good at these interviews. You might do some because we're going to pivot right here to a segue <laughs> to, to your playoff. Um, let's wrap up. Uh, we'll do some like rapid fire questions here uh, to close this out uh, with the season outlook. Just. Your gut reaction to, to these questions um, and kind of where you think we stand. So number one, the most obvious, do you think this season is actually happening? Yes, it will. Um, you know, in some capacity, it might be uh, no fans or limited fans. But, um, and I will, I will preface that with I'm, a, I'm an optimist. So I, just, I, can't, I can't picture ourselves without a football season. But I think we'll get there by September. Love it. And I see you have us uh, predicted as number two in uh, the Big Ten, but number nine nationally leads me to believe that you think there's a second loss in the schedule somewhere. Where are you seeing that? Um, yeah, so I think the I think Ohio State's a clear cut there. Um, you know, I, I think Michigan could be tough because now you're going instead of in the whiteout environment, you're going out to out to uh, Ann Arbor. But more so with Penn State, it was just higher level where, um, and I think four or five of those wins. I got to check this, but it, in a majority of those wins, Penn State was actually outgained. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's just, it, it's kind of a, you know, 
a, a side stat to me, but it's kind of important where a lot of those games weren't as definitive as you'd like. So when you're trying to project forward, um, you know, that, that's a kind of a negative in terms of the numbers. So I think there's a second loss there. I don't know where it'll happen, but definitely Ohio State. And then we'll see about, uh, about Michigan or maybe a crossover game. Cool. We'll, uh, we'll cut that part out of the interview. Uh, <laughs> seven games. Seven games we, were, we won while being outgained. Was that what it was? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, okay. So your, your college football playoff prediction, Clemson, Ohio State, Florida, Oregon. Obviously, Florida and Oregon are a bit bold, uh, but that's why you are the best of what you do is you make bold predictions, and, and a lot of times they come damn close to being right. So if that foursome actually happens, as you predict, between Florida and Oregon, who do you think performs better in those actual games against the behemoths that are Ohio State and Clemson? Well, I think if, if the prediction holds true and the four of them make the bracket, I think you'd have to say Florida would compete better uh, because that means they would have gone through Alabama and Georgia and, uh, and, live, and lived up to their you know, top five, top ten talent. Um, so they're, they're a bit more proven than Oregon. Um, yeah, both are definitely outlier picks. I don't think you'll find these anywhere else. Um, I guess the 30-second version of Oregon pick is – uh, you know, back in the day, you picture Chip Kelly's offense, the speed, kind of the gadget offense, um, but they really couldn't stack up well in the trenches. Mario Cristobal has flipped that whole script. He took over. He's built it from the trenches out. Um, they have the Outland winner in Penny Sewell. They're replacing four offensive line starters, but the four coming up are all highly touted recruits, higher rated than their predecessors. So love the offense, but really love the defense. This was a top five unit last year nationally. Ten starters back out of 11. Uh, and that one vacancy is filled by not just one, but two five-star linebackers coming in for the one vacancy. So I think it's going to be one of the best defenses in the nation. Even if they lose that Ohio State opener, uh, I think they're strong enough to run through the, uh, kind of a down pack 12. So I think they get in 12-1. and one. Outside of your, like, um, I guess we can call them surprising Oregon and Florida picks, you know, not the – probably not the what most people are picking. Are there any other teams you think could sneak in that would be – that would really surprise people? Yeah, so uh, a, a couple quick ones here. Um, Texas A&M, I have pretty high. Uh, they've had a brutal schedule the last couple of years. That flips. Also, they have 19 starters back. Uh, it's now Jimbo Fisher's third year, Mike Elko, defensive coordinator, third year, um, Kellen Mond's third year. So you're getting a lot of continuity, and, you know, that's just something that you tend to see improve in the metrics. So I think they're close. They've recruited a top-five clip for a while now under Fisher. Um, so that could be a breakout SEC candidate. Um, Notre Dame, I haven't really talked about Notre Dame much on podcasts, but uh, they're a solid top 10 program every year the last three years. Um, they have probably one of the best offensive lines in the country. Ian Book has proven it's just a stable starting quarterback. Uh, and then a front seven that can compete nationally too. And the one note on Notre Dame is it's a pretty manageable schedule, and they do host Clemson in November, which could be the latest and the greatest, you know, is Notre Dame back on the national stage game. Uh, if they somehow beat Clemson that night, they earn themselves a mulligan to go 11-1 and one and make it in. So sure. um, definitely a wild card there. Um, yeah, so those would be my two kind of off the grid. One more real quick, Oklahoma State. Uh, it's rare for them to be up this high, but they do have a trio, a quarterback, rec uh, wide receiver, and running back. Um, and when, when Gundy has that trio, they tend to go places. So who knows if that offense becomes one of those big, great Big 12 juggernauts and they might outscore a lot of teams. Yeah. Their team from Pennsylvania, I think, could uh, just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so Pittsburgh, uh, I'm really happy. No, no. <laughs> hey, this been a great interview. Uh, you're going to cut that out of bed. Now, um, yeah, yeah uh, Penn State, right, hey, you're, you're a game away. If you, beat, if you beat Ohio State, you're in the, uh, the driver's seat for a playoff bid. It's, 
it's always just a what if. I mean, yeah. if you beat Ohio State, you're now in that spot. So to be the Big Ten favorite with the Mulligan um, and probably beating a down Big Ten West this year in the in the conference title game. So, um, yeah, who knows? I mean, I think that's supposed to be the whiteout for, for Penn State's sake. Hopefully you're, you're talking 100% capacity there. Get yeah. that thing rocking and uh, get that full home field advantage, which I think has to be the best home field advantage in, in college sports. Uh, I know that might be hyperbole, but um, not just Penn State itself as a home field is great, but that night that night game whiteout feel uh, absolutely electric. I don't want to surprise you, but we agree. <laughs> yeah, um, I will also say now that I'm on a Penn State show, I will say it's probably the best tailgate environment too because uh, I've been all over the country at games uh, in the South, in the Midwest. Um, you know, every school does it differently. You talk about M- Madison; they're kind of more of a bar scene. You kind of bar hop. Um, Clemson's got that small town feel where you bar hop and do some tailgates, but that, that Penn state tailgate lot, those fields where you have the RVs and the TV setups and the grills and, uh, you know, and stump, you know, you're playing some stump out in the yard. Oh, yeah. So, uh, I think Penn state's tailgating scene is number one. It's unmatched in the country. Cause to me, that's what tailgating really is. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here first, Brett Ciancia pick six. <laughs> Penn State, best tailgating, best home field advantage, a puncher's chance at the playoff. Uh, Brett, we appreciate you coming on, man. It's been a ton of fun. Your your depth of knowledge honestly astounds me. I mean, I knew you were going to have your, your stuff together just from reading your book, but being able to talk so intelligently on every team is, is just incredible. I mean, we try to keep up as much as we can with just Penn State, and, and it's, it's tough for us. <laughs> yeah, thanks. I really appreciate that. Thanks for checking out the book. Um, anyone else interested that wants to, to get a look at this thing, uh, it's, it's at Pick 6 Previews on Twitter and then Pick6Previews.com. And, and on the website, I have sample pages because I know it's, it's a newer product. I have sample teams up there so you can see the set of graphics, the set of stats, and uh, kind of the level of detail per team. A couple testimonials in there, too. I actually just got a huge one from Chris Felica, the Bear. Uh, College Game Day says it's a must-read, his quotes. So uh, real excited with that. And, um, yeah, give us a look. That's incredible, man. Well, congrats on all the success. Uh, best of luck as you make your rounds on all the podcasts and the radio shows. Um, thanks again for coming on here. And, yeah, as the season gets closer, midseason, whatever it is, we'd love to have you on again and, and see where we stand after, after the first half of all this. Yeah, anytime, guys. Um, we'd love to support you guys, and I'll come back on, maybe see you at a Penn State tailgate. Absolutely. We'll uh, – cheers on us. All right, cheers, guys. Thanks. Take care, man.